This message is a ministry of From the Fray, a site dedicated to providing hope-filled, battle-worn resources. For more encouraging content, check out fromthefray.com. We're in part five of our uh, series going through the book of Jonah, which is a book about God who chases after people, a God who loves us enough to chase after us. When we think of the book of Jonah, we usually think of the fish. Uh, but the only reason the fish is even in the story is because it's a way for God to chase after Jonah. A uh, quick summary of the book so far. God tells Jonah to uh, jump into a boat and travel to what is modern-day Iraq. Back then it was called Nineveh. And tell a bunch of terrorists, kind of like ISIS today, that they need to stop killing people and stop being a bunch of jerks. And if they don't stop doing that, then God is going to send down fire from heaven and uh, burn them all up like sausage on a grill. And Jonah says, nope, I'm not doing that. He does get into a boat, but he goes the wrong way. That makes God mad, of course. And so God chases him down with a big storm. God sends a storm. Jonah gets thrown into the sea, so God sends a fish. The fish picks Jonah up and carries him around for three days inside his belly, which had to be ultimately disgusting. Uh, now, while Jonah is inside the fish, he offers a prayer, a rather lengthy prayer. I'm going to skim past the prayer for now and do a bonus video at the end of the series so I can dedicate more time to the prayer. Right now, I want to fast forward to the end of Jonah's journey inside the fish, which brings us to chapter 2, verse 10. The Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach, which sounds, again, disgusting. Um, I hate throwing up. I suppose the only thing I would hate more than throwing up is being thrown up, which is what happened to Jonah. But uh, moving on, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, now that Jonah is spit up onto the beach, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's commands and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. God repeats himself here, tells Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh. Great meaning huge, not great meaning good, um, but huge. Nineveh was a great city, impressive both in size and population. It was full of a lot of awful people, but the awful people knew how to build a big city. It was an extremely large, uh, very impressive city. God sent Jonah there because God cares for cities. God cares for cities because God cares for people. And so the connection would be that you and I need to also care for our cities. We need to serve and love our cities in tangible ways, the same way God expected Jonah to do that. Uh, when Christians see a city that is in need, poor and homeless or whatever whatever have you, the problems may be in your city, and we do nothing more than say, well, I'll pray for you. That looks like it sucks. Well, that is received about as sincerely as it is sent out. It just doesn't go over very well. We need to serve our city in tangible ways, in a way that has us getting to know people, getting our hands dirty. That's what it means to serve our city. Jeremiah 29.7 tells us to work for the peace and prosperity of the city where we are sent into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for the welfare of the city will determine your welfare as well. Now, Nineveh, Nineveh was a city that was infamous for oppressing the weak. As we've said all along, these are some really awful people. And uh, they would leave not just the conquered, but also its own citizens, often uh, just destitute and poor and very, very abused. And so in that regard, God was God sent Jonah on a mission of social reform or social justice, uh, to use our terms today. He was there to help the powerless, to help the poor, to help the disenfranchised who were being abused uh, by Nineveh's cruel regime. He was sent to care for the minorities uh, who could not care and speak for themselves. Jonah was there as an agent of God's love and mercy. Later on in verse 10 of this chapter, we see that the mission worked 
because we're told that the people stopped their evil ways. Now, the mission worked because Jonah also came, not only as an agent of social justice and mercy, but Jonah also came as an agent of God's wrath and judgment. We read in verse 4, On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, we live in a world today where we don't normally see both of these together from the same person. Social justice and mercy, mercy and, and uh, truth and judgment. Usually the people who uh, call for grace and mercy and social reform don't talk about God's wrath and God's judgment. And conversely, the people who talk about discipline and truth and judgment don't usually call for peace or social justice. And that's unfortunate. I always find that to be unfortunate, that we have to separate ourselves between liberals and Democrats and qualify what kind of Christian we are, because, again, in the Bible, we don't see a distinction. Uh, you cannot separate the two. Justice and mercy and social reform and grace and love and wrath and truth and objective standards and discipline, they're inseparable. Uh, when I think of this, I often think of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. His call for social justice was deeply rooted in his beliefs about a God of judgment. If you've never read his letter from a Birmingham jail, I highly recommend it. Uh, I'm going to read just one small excerpt from this to, to make my point here. Dr. King says that one has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law and natural law. In other words, King saw absolutely no tension whatsoever in working for social justice while proclaiming a God of punishment and wrath. In his I Have a Dream speech, Dr. King didn't call for everyone to be free to define truth on their own or find their own meaning in life. He quoted scripture. He said, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Now, the best example of the harmony between truth and mercy is not Martin Luther King. It comes from Jesus himself. In the words that he used talking to the woman who was caught in adultery, one of my favorite stories about Jesus, his response to her is very telling. In John chapter 8, we read that Jesus stood up and again said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus told her, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. In other words, because of my mercy, I forgive you. Because of my standards of truth and behavior, I expect you to knock it off. Truth and mercy, justice and grace at the same time. And the result, when we see those two together, fully embraced at the same time, the result is life-saving repentance. The end of Jonah chapter 3, we read, Who can tell? The Ninevites ask. Perhaps even God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Thanks.